Welcome to Step Into Magic, your weekly online radio show on how to develop your psychic ability, deepen your spirituality, and find your own true purpose. Presented by acclaimed medical intuitive, Josephine Lang. This broadcast is a part of the Wisdom and Intuition Network. This is Anthony Taylor, your host, and on behalf of Josephine, I'll be taking your calls and questions. This week's topic is learning to commune with the natural world. For anyone new to our show, Josephine has been a clairvoyant healer for more than 25 years. During that time, she's helped thousands of people from around the world to heal from hard-to-diagnose and chronic health issues. She has also been a teacher and spiritual mentor for hundreds of people who treasure her insights, courage, and love. Thank you, Tony, very much. And hello, everyone. I'd really like to extend a special welcome to our listeners in Brazil and Portugal and Canada and to all the rest of you around the world and throughout the United States. It's just such a blessing, and I feel so very honored. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining in our beautiful community here together of explorers in consciousness. It's really great, and I'm so, so very honored. So we humans have been reading the subtle communications of nature ever since time began. And from the simple request of a, like of a kitty cat when they want to go outside to the really complex structure of the clouds and the weather patterns, if we pay attention to our natural world, we can really tell what nature is saying. And then there have been numerous studies on interspecies communications by notables like my dear friend uh, Rupert Sheldrake and Cleve Baxter, who help us to overcome with their work, with their, with their good science that they've done, help us to overcome our analytical left brain prejudice, which prevents us from being more in touch. I mean, our left brain is a beautiful part of ourselves, and we want that analytical brain, and it is through these research studies that involve the analytical brain that we are able to see that we can go across uh, species to make these communications. And it really helps us to open up to our right brain, which lets us connect on a really deeper level with nature so that we can perceive more of these subtle messages. <clears throat> Excuse me, and we can receive intent from nature and inspirations and even energy from nature. And all that this requires is a simple but yet really profound shift in our awareness, which allows us to sense these subtle energies from the worlds of animals and plants. But before I go into this topic any further, I always like to begin our show with our spiritual agreement. And this was a gift from my mentor and friend, Jana Massey, and it goes like this. Together we acknowledge that everything that we think, that we say, and that we do at this time will be of the highest good. And together we ask for truth, the understanding of that truth, and the wisdom to use it in our lives. Can you all agree with me? I do. Thank you, Tony, and thank you, everyone. I really appreciate it. Josephine, uh, we received a, a really nice message about our weekly newsletter that I'd like to read. It goes like this. Hello, Josephine. What a lovely photo. I, I felt its warm vibes all the way here in Jerusalem. Wishing you both a meaningful holiday, Ruth. Oh, thank you, Ruth. And as I said, we did receive a number of emails after the show, and I'd just like to take the opportunity just to read a few now. I think that'd be great. Thank you. Okay, this first one goes as follows. That was absolutely beautiful. 
Life was bursting from the phone lines tonight. Great show. Love, Anna. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. And then we received this one. Um, love your shows. The Thanksgiving brought tears to my eyes. And that was from Aya. Oh, Aya, thank you so much. And then this one, um, enjoyed the show so very much. The show was grand with so much love energy. Hope you will revisit the topic again, maybe apart from the holiday, as gratitude is always in. Peace, Patrick. It sure is always in, Patrick. It's true. Gratitude is really the the greatest. It really makes our lives so wonderful. And then we received this one from Fran, and she writes, Hi, Frank and Josephine. I was attending a celebration of life, formerly known as a funeral yesterday. I am grateful for death, birth, cycles, renewal, rejuvenation, yoga, meditation, sweetness, your loving voice, manner, your funny way, your inner exploration, your dance, your talking to the flowers and listening, living a thankful life right now. Bless you, bless me, bless us all, Fran. <laughs> Indeed. Isn't that wonderful? Beautiful. And uh, then we received this one from Melanie, and she wrote, Gratitude for opportunity to share giving thanks for all. This is what our indigenous people consider ceremony. By beginning everything we do and say with gratitude, we confirm the blessings we have and blessings coming our way. Gratitude for all the gifts of the seven directions and blessings and delights to all. Melanie. Sending gratitude, grace, and love from Hawaii. Oh, this is beautiful. So many lovely gratitudes today. There are. And I'll just read one more. All right. And this one goes as follows. Hi, Josephine. So sorry I missed the show, but I wrote a poem. Here it is. Great. Just taking time to acknowledge all my blessings within the daily haste. A great gratitude for the abundance of an overflowing grace a welling up of appreciation for all I hold so dear, savoring the beauty of the moment like a most delicious Thanksgiving taste, allowing the divine's embrace to nurture me, my heart lifts up in song, a harmonizing with the symphony of heaven's angelic throng, the joys and blessings of celebrating yet another earthly year among the metaphysical wisdom community and win peers. There we go, isn't great? Oh, wonderful. <laughs> and she wrote, also, wonderful Beautiful. idea, Miss Josephine. Love, 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 with blessings all around, Simont. Oh, thank you, Simont. That was really great. <laughs> I'm so glad you were inspired. It's <laughs> wonderful. Thank you all, every one of you. That was really great. We always love hearing from you. So let me just go ahead and jump right into our topic of the day then. So animals and plants can sense our presence and our intent, and we humans are animals, we're members of the animal kingdom, and if we allow ourselves, we can sense their presence and their intent. You know, a woman, a beautiful woman named Penelope Smith, she came uh, and did a talk here some years back about animal communication, and she has a lovely book, and she shared with us, I think it's called Animal Talk. And she shared with us a story about her, one of her llamas. I think it was when she was weaning one of the llamas. You know, it comes time where, you know, they need to be separated. And I think that the the mother llama was just on the other side of the fence, which was how it happened on my mother's farm when she was growing up with the milk cows. When they would do the weaning, they would just place the cows on, 
on the other side of the fence. And it was a much more gentle way to do the weaning. But still, the young animals were very upset, and so were the, the mothers. And she said that she sat down in the pen with the baby llama, and the llama came over and laid down beside her and put her head in her lap. And she actually started to cry. She shed tears. And um, Penelope was so touched by this, and as was I hearing the story. And it's really true. Believe it or not, our animals can cry. They can actually shed tears. I saw my horse Duchess shed a tear on one, on one occasion. She was just really, truly sad. And there was a lovely film that I saw some years ago. It was called The Story of the Weeping Camel. And it was about a camel mother who was going through postpartum depression and really having a hard time uniting with her little baby. And what the family did to help the camel to unite with her child is really something. So we can, you know, pick up some of these communications from animals that are not so subtle like that, where they're really quite clear. But we can also pick up the more subtle uh, communications that are available to us as well if we tune in. You know, we are all born telepathic. We actually have that skill as part of our natural human ability. These skills are lying mostly dormant within us in the West where we don't really acknowledge them. But it's really only our cultural prejudice that prevents us from experiencing them. They, We really can pick up on them if we work at it, if we try. There's those more obvious exchanges like I just shared, but we can also get those more subtle ones too. So, you know, as a medical intuitive and a distance healer, I do all of my work in that capacity over the telephone. And I certainly have an ability to hear or feel or see using my clairaudience or my uh, telepathic abilities what's going on with the bodies of other people. And this is something that I, you know, my <laughs> my dear friend Rupert Sheldrake, like I mentioned, he he wrote a wonderful book called The Sense of Being Stared At. And in it, he talks about different ways that we people can experience something that's not happening directly, coming through our natural five senses of what we would ordinarily think of as hearing and touch, touch and taste and smell. And um, so what we're doing here is we're picking up on more subtle things. And what the way he describes it is he says that with his hypothesis, is that our minds extend beyond our skulls, rather like the way a magnetic field extends beyond a magnet or a gravitational field actually extends beyond the planet. And he feels that we have that capacity to perceive things beyond just the our skulls, that our minds extend beyond our skulls. And I really agree with him. And, Tony, maybe you can show that first slide. I think this is such a great quote that he has. Certainly. And he says, liberating minds from confinement in heads is like being released from prison. Most people have already broken out in secret. <laughs> Rupert Sheldrake. And I agree. I think that there are a lot of us, certainly most of us who are tuned in with this community here on the radio show, we've broken out in secret. <laughs> we might we might not tell everybody that this is what we do on the sly. You know, maybe we have jobs as engineers or accountants or whatever else we're doing. And so we don't, you know, often talk about it because it's just not all that popular culturally. But we really can uh, do a lot of perception that's beyond our ordinary five senses. 
So there's another researcher that I really love. This was back in the 1960s. You've probably heard of him, Cleve Baxter. And he did lots of experiments on our ability to sense subtle energies. And he was perhaps most noted for his work with plants and their ability to sense emotion and intent using lie detector machines. And he said that modern science exaggerates the role of the brain in consciousness. Consciousness might exist on an entirely different level. And so he's agreeing with and right in the same vein as Rupert is with realizing that our consciousness might be much more vast than we tend to think and realize. We tend to think it's contained within our heads. But actually, it extends much beyond that. And he describes a time when he meant met a dental researcher, you know, a dentist, a dental researcher, mm -hmm. who had a method of gathering white blood cells from the mouth that was really safe and easy to do. And so he designed an experiment where he took the white blood cell samples from the saliva of various volunteers, and then he sent those people home to watch a pre-selected television program, which was chosen specifically to elicit some sort of an emotional response in them. So the volunteers were, you know, hooked up to machines rather like lie detectors to show any emotional responses. And then so was this these white blood cells that he had collected from the saliva. They were hooked up as well. And then he used a split-screen monitor to show both the person and the cells, so, you know, what the what was happening with the excitability of the person and what was happening with the excitability of the salival, salival cells. And then he would go ahead and play a particular, you know, film clip that, you know, like for instance with a volunteer who maybe had been at Pearl Harbor, he, you know, an American, he might have shown a, a film clip of a Japanese air attack or something. And then that person would naturally have a response. And interestingly enough, the saliva cells, which were many miles away in his laboratory, would have the same response. And so he used this split-screen monitor to show that they were having the same response at the same time. And I thought that was so great. What a great uh, experiment to it's have done. It's a great done. experiment, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? It's truly amazing, yep. <laughs> it's really wonderful. And the greatest distance that he tested was 300 miles, where the volunteer actually went 300 miles away from their saliva uh, samples, their white blood cells, and then played a film and watched the film, and then the, the 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 saliva cells were, of course, not watching the film. Only the person was, and that volunteer, his saliva, 300 miles away, responded with the with the reaction, which I think is just so fascinating. So you know, it's not just our own cells that you know we can feel. We can also feel emotion or intent from others from other people. So we can not only can ourselves feel us and can we feel ourselves, but our um our intent and our emotion can be felt from other beings, from other people. So one of the examples that I love is Rupert speaks about this pretty famous tiger hunter from the last century in India. His name was Jim Corbett. And he wrote that there were a number of times that his life was saved by the hares standing up on the back of his neck when he was out in the jungle. And that let him know that there was an unseen tiger lurking nearby about ready to pounce. And so maybe you can show the next slide, Tony, if you would. Certainly. Thank you. So isn't that great? I mean, the hairs are standing up on the back of his neck, and he's like, okay, something's up, you know. <laughs> 
And Rupert says that we don't possess this sense because we are more evolved than animals, but precisely because we are animals. We are members of the animal kingdom. Isn't that a nice quote for us to just remember? You know, we have these innate abilities just like the animals do to really sense and know. And prey animals like rabbits and deer, these have a very strong advantage of survival when they are sensitive to these types of feelings because they'll be able to escape more often. And I, I think that's so interesting. And, you know, people are potentially prey animals too. We don't really realize it. But Rupert's book, The Sense of Being Stared At, sort of, you know, lets us cue into that thought that that we can perceive when we're being watched. And, I mean, how many times has that happened to you? You've probably experienced it, Tony. Oh, certainly. Oh, yeah. We, I, I mean, I'm sure everyone has that feeling of I'm being watched. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure most of our listeners have had that experience, too. You guys have probably all, all heard that or thought, wow, I'm being watched. Hmm, somebody's been looking at me, or guys and gals. <laughs> so, um, you know, the another thing that I thought was really interesting that Rupert shared was that when people are being looked at through surveillance cameras, they can tell that they're being watched. So it doesn't even have to be an actual person in the room with them watching them, but it can be somebody who's watching them from on camera. And he relates how a security guard once told him that he'd been instructed, the security guard had gotten an instruction from an FBI trainer to stare at people through the monitors of the closed-circuit cameras if he saw them doing something that they shouldn't be doing. So <laughs> he's got them on closed-circuit cameras and they're starting to do something that maybe they're smoking in a public place where they shouldn't be or they're opening up doors that they shouldn't. If he just looks at them and really looks at them hard, they'll generally stop doing it. I think that's pretty great. That's amazing, isn't it? I've heard some um, some similar stories uh, about um, uh, detectives, oh. and uh, they're taught not to look at someone that they're shadowing directly because if they do, the person will likely turn around. They they pick it up. Oh yeah, isn't that amazing? And that a, is. And a more way out story that I heard, and um, is that British uh, Secret Service operatives are trained not to stare at someone. They're about to stab in the back for oh. exactly the same reason. Oh my God! <laughs> I don't know if that's an urban myth, but that's that's something I've heard, and it just picks up on this idea that we do have that sense of being stared at. Yeah, we can tell, we can feel it. We have that telepathic presence, you know, that allows us to feel in our feeling sense something that's not touching us, that we're just picking up on a vibe or an intent. Mm-hmm. And then another telepathic experience that many of us have had is. Knowing who's calling on the telephone. You know, sometimes, you, I'm sure you guys, you got folks have all heard or had sometimes heard the phone ring, and then you thought, wow, I wonder, you know, if I bet this is Susie or I bet this is my Aunt May calling. And then you pick it up, and sure enough, it is that person. And um, it's a really wonderful thing that we have that ability. It's great. So another one that I think is pretty funny that Rupert covered was about cats and the vets. And so a lot of times when people make uh, an appointment for the vet, the cat, when the time comes to get, you know, to go ahead and collect the cat, the cat will have disappeared. And Rupert telephoned something like 65 vet clinics in London and asked them, you know, have you ever had any trouble with cat owners missing appointments? And 64 of the 65 said, all the time. (laughs) 
And the last one, the 65th one, said that the problem was so bad that they'd stopped making appointments for cats altogether. Mm. <laughs> they just said, look, when you want to just gather your cat up and bring it in, you know, we'll just take them when they come. And same with wildlife photographers and hunters. They often report that animals know when they're being looked at. I know that I, that Duchess always knew when she was in front of the camera. <laughs> she would sort of perk up and look a little extra cute. And and uh, it's really, really something, isn't it? Certainly, yeah. Yeah, so another book that I just love, and this again is by Rupert Sheldrake, is Dogs Who Know When, Dogs That Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home and Other Unexplained Powers of Animals. So that's Dogs That Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home by Rupert Sheldrake. And he tells this, um, of course, there's, you know, closed-circuit cameras, and the main thing is is that it's when the dogs feel the intention of the owner, they, where the, the owner has, maybe they've gotten off of work at their usual time, and they've gone and run a few errands and all of that, and it's when the owner has the intention, all right, now I'm going home, that the dogs will head to the door and wait. And there were, you know, numerous, numerous examples of this, so many so that he decided to, you know, go ahead and document it with closed-circuit TV cameras and see when the animals knew that they were coming home, that their owners were coming home. And it, it was remarkable how many of them did. And there's some some uh, parameters to it. The dogs usually have to be at least a year old, and they have to have had an experience of the the owner having left for some period of time where they wondered whether the owner was going to make it back. And I think perhaps my favorite story of his that's in the book is about this one airplane pilot. This was during World War II. He was the mail carrier, and he had a specific route, and he had his own specific plane that had its own unique sound to its engine. And whenever he was going to land on the runway, his dog, who lived in the airplane hangar, and he was living also on the, in the facility, uh, the dog would come out and greet him on the tarmac. And this one time, the plane came back on its route, and the folks all working there noticed that the dog did not go out to greet the plane. And the pilot did not get off the plane, because what had happened was the pilot had been injured at his other destination. And he was not on that plane, and the dog knew it and didn't go out to greet him. And then they kept thinking, well, you know, what's with the dog, you know, and they kept waiting and thinking maybe he would go out and greet the plane. Well, it turned out that it was sometime a little bit later, like a week or two later, that the man wound up coming on a different plane with a different sound, landing on the run, a different runway, and the dog went out there to greet him, which I thought was so great. Mm. <laughs> it's really nice, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And then back to... Peter Tompkins, well, back to Cleve Baxter, who was written about in the book, very popular book called The Secret Life of Plants by Peter Tompkins and Christopher Bird. I think this book came out in the 70s. Very popular book, The Secret Life of Plants, Peter Tompkins and Christopher Bird. Um, they covered some of the work that Cleve Baxter did in their book, and there was one really wonderful quote that I loved that Cleve Baxter said, which was, he had his different plants hooked up to, I think they were like lie detector tests, and he was registering to see when the plant would register a response. And then he said, at 13 minutes and 55 seconds on the chart time, the thought entered my mind to burn the leaf. I didn't verbalize the idea. I didn't touch the plant. I didn't touch the equipment. Yet the plant went wild. 
And I thought that was so telling because there was an example of the plant picking up on his intent alone, just the thought. Yeah, on that subject, Josephine, I've actually seen the the movie, The Secret Life of Plants, uh, the movie, oh. which is about uh, Cleve Baxter's work. I saw it a few years ago, and as far as I know, it's available on YouTube. If anyone wants to, I mean, it's like a full ninety-minute movie. If anyone wants to to watch it, you can watch wow. it free. Just you know, um, search for The Secret Life of Plants, and it truly is um, an amazing film. It it completely shake up your ideas about plants and plant consciousness and what's happening in the plant kingdom uh, unless your ideas have already been shaken <laughs> up before. Well, I'd love to see that. I haven't seen it, but I'm going to make a point. Maybe Frank and I can watch it one of these nights on our little computer monitor. Yeah, and they, they do go into the experiments that uh, Cleve Baxter performed on plants, hooking them up to um, lie detectors and then getting responses when people are feeling or thinking certain thoughts feeling certain emotions, how it's registered in, in, in the plants that are hooked up to these machines. Yeah, well, one of the things that they covered in the book, which I thought was so incredible, was they had these different technicians who looked different from each other a little bit, and they would one of them would come in and with intention destroy a plant that was in the laboratory, and the, the an adjacent plant would be hooked up to the electrodes and we'd be just going wild just seeing this plant being the leaves ripped off and the stems broken and all of this going on because this you know this plant was being destroyed right in its presence and um when the technician was done destroying the plant they left the room and different technicians would come in and do different things and when that technician who had destroyed the plant returned to the room again the witnessing plant with the lie detector hookup would go wild just to have that the presence of that technician walk into the room. And I thought that was really interesting because of the potentiality of using plants as witnesses for something like murder trials. You know, mm -hmm. there was a house plant in the room, could be a very good witness. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, they do respond to what's happening in their environment. They do respond as we respond, mm -hmm. you know, just the same way. So this really brings into question this whole idea of consciousness. You know, where does our consciousness end or begin, and is it shared? I think it is. <laughs> so unfortunately, you know, Cleve Baxter's really well-documented and repeated experiments have been largely ignored, and so have Rupert's, who's even had his work attacked, and he's even had was taken off of the TED Talks last year. But fortunately, he did a conference in Los Angeles with others who'd been removed from the TED Talks. And, you know, this was only because their findings were opposite or different from the consensus opinion, you know, from the status quo. And to me, that's very, very poor science. In fact, it's not science at all. It's actually purely skeptical dogma, which is nothing more than, you know, some sort of an outdated opinion. And it prevents our cultural acceptance of telepathy and other psychic ability, which have been, you know, repeatedly and very soundly scientifically been proven to exist. Which, you know, if we were to acknowledge this, it would completely change our relationship, not only with each other, but also with the natural world around us. Which, at this point in our human evolution, could be a really good thing. We need to change, and soon our very planetary relationship depends on it. So I I really encourage people. In fact, there's a wonderful new website that I came uh, upon, which is 
skepticalaboutskeptics.org because so many of the skeptics do things like they raid and ransack, you know, the Wikipedia for Rupert's site. He's constantly having people come on. Whenever he enters something into his, you know, they come through and they, oh, that doesn't matter. You know, they put up their skeptical opinion, which is really just an opinion. It doesn't have anything to do with real science. And whereas Rupert and Cleve Baxter's, these were all very well documented and scientifically repeated experiments, which have largely been ignored because of the skeptical prejudice that we have in our society. So I encourage you all to go to that, www.skepticalaboutskeptics.org. It's quite an interesting website. Maybe you can show our next slide then, if you don't mind, Tony. Certainly. And this is that great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. <laughs> That's Albert Einstein. And I love that quote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. Yeah, I mean, often it's just a refusal to even attempt to repeat the experiment. It's just a, I know it doesn't work, yeah. because just because I know. And it reminds you of, you know, when Galileo pointed out that the um, the Earth was going around the sun, and he was told, no, it can't be. And he said, well, look through the telescope. And people said... I don't need to look through the telescope because I know, because it says in this book that that doesn't happen. And it's the same kind of prejudice. I guess we've had it, it's always been around, you know. Yeah, it really has. Oh, and there was one other thing that I wanted to share, which was another experiment that Rupert did. He likes to do these experiments that involve large groups of population base so that there's a lot of people participating because numbers are good in science and having a you can kind of find the variability and see what the norm is and see where the majority are going and so he did this wonderful experiment I just loved it was with nursing mothers who had babies who did not nurse on a regular schedule so you know how some babies will nurse at like every two hours they want to have a, something to you know a little breast milk and these were babies who were very irregular. They might go two hours, then they might go five hours or three hours or 15 minutes. They just were all over the map. So he put out ads in the newspaper saying, would you like to participate in this experiment to, to you know, about telepathy? And so then the idea was, was that when the mother was away from the baby and the baby was at home with grandma or somebody and, and the mother had expressed breast milk so that the milk was available for the baby to be fed at home, um, while she was out. And so then the grandmother or the person who was babysitting would make a note of the time that the baby cried for milk and they got out the bottle and fed the baby. And meanwhile, the mother, who was off shopping 30 miles away across London or whatever, she would go ahead and make a note while she was out shopping of whenever her milk suddenly let down. Because, you know, a mother's milk will let down as soon as the baby cries. And so then, of course, there was the the times correlated beautifully that whenever the baby at home was crying for the milk, the mother some miles away her breast milk her breast her milk would let let down. And I thought that was such a simple and wonderful, profound experiment to really show how our psychic ability, how our telepathy, is really a real part, a, a natural part of being human. I mean, I think we can all relate to that with someone that we're very close to when we suddenly get a feeling that maybe they're in danger or something's yeah. not right with them and something, you know, protective in us, you know, comes out. Well, I've certainly had that experience. Oh, yes, yes. And I'm sure many of our listeners have too. You guys have probably all heard of times when we 
you know, when somebody has woken up in the middle of the night because they knew that their loved one some hundreds of miles away was in danger or in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you probably as a father, huh, Tony? Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah, and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, Chloe or... Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, that, that, that feeling suddenly, oh, something's not right. Yeah, yeah. And animals and plants can not only sense our presence and our intent, but like I said, if we allow ourselves, we can sense theirs. And one of my very favorite books is just this beautiful little book called uh, Animal Miracles by Brad and Sherry Steiger. They've wrote a, written a number of various animal miracle books, you know, like dog miracles and things like that. And lots of people have these types of experiences. You know, the the one that strike, struck out so much for me in this book, it's, called, it's Animal Miracles, Inspirational and Heroic True Stories by Brad Steiger and Sherry Steiger. And there was one story where a young girl had been taking three little kids. She was babysitting them, and she took them out to this area where they often went to play. It was a marshy area. It was kind of open. There was a lake, and there was a lot of reeds and rushes and things in there. And they were wandering around out there, and somebody pulled up in a car in the parking lot, and this man got out, and he looked suspicious, and he was started to come right for the children, and the children were getting very concerned, and the babysitter said, let's run. And so they started to run back towards the houses, and the man was gaining on them. And all of a sudden, from the rushes came all of these blackbirds who just came up and just attacked this guy and just completely disoriented him and pecking him all over the head and the shoulders. And he was trying to swat them away, and the children got away to safety. And I thought that was such a beautiful, beautiful story. Mm. And there was another one about where a family was out on a, a yacht, a small yacht, and the boat capsized and sunk. And the family were all trying to swim and keep track of each other and so they formed a circle and they started to hold hands and there were actually sharks in the water nearby that started to patrol around and suddenly around them came this circle of dolphins who started to circle around the family and protected them until help came for them which I thought was so beautiful and it was really you know touching how the animals can really sense our need and come in there and jump in and help us when the time is right. Well, that's making me think of a video I saw recently on YouTube. I'm sure lots of people have seen it because it became uh, a really big hit. Uh, It was about a cat rescuing a four-year-old boy, and this was in Bakersfield, I believe. And he'd been dragged off his uh, tricycle by a neighbor's unprovoked dog, and it was Mm. all filmed by a security camera. Wow. And the, 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 the dog, it grabbed hold of the boy, pulled him off the tricycle, and was dragging him away. You know, oh. shaking him. And then the cat, the family pet, the tiny little cat, she jumped out of nowhere, attacked the dog, chased him off, and this dog was much bigger than she was oh. and possibly saved the boy's life. Wow. And this cat apparently is normally placid, and, and it just sprang into action, chased the dog even further away, and then returned to guard the boy until help came. Oh, that's so beautiful. So it's really it's really startling. It is, and you know, the time is really now upon us to see that we're all a part of one big family, interconnected, and to just open our eyes to the love that's all around us. That's just a beautiful story. Welcome. Uh, oh, hi. This is Barbara in Paso Robles. Hi, Barbara. How are you today? <laughs> Uh, lots better. I've finished doing all the Christmas decorating, so I'm Yay! I am entering uh, uh, the the reality of being among the living. 
good. <laughs> I'm so fascinated by uh, Sheldrake, and um, I, I couldn't get to the phone or l- listen to your radio show until um, about 6.30, but I don't know if you went into uh, the uh, discussion or explanation of morphic fields, and if if you have or haven't, could you... Could you? Uh, I just think that's fascinating, and I'd love to hear you talk about it. Yes, well, thank you so much for the invitation, Barbara, and I would be delighted to. And thanks so much for your question. So, hey, yeah, and so, I'm going to hang up now and, and listen. Thank okay. you, Josephine. For <laughs> okay, okay, great. Thanks Lots thanks of love. Bye. Lots okay. of love to you too. So, Rupert's basic idea here is that the mind extends beyond the brain, and that when you know, morphic meaning like of form and a field being a field that is like gravitational field or something along those lines that we can, that extends out beyond us. And what he's talking about is a resonance, that there is something enters into the field, a knowledge enters into the field, and then the others who are in that field can sense it. And one of the things that he uses to explain this is the murmuration of starling. You've probably noticed before in the sky, it's one of the most beautiful things to see those hundreds and sometimes thousands of birds swooping around together, moving in perfect harmony, and they never crash into each other. It's you know, it's like everybody turn right, everybody turn left. And they found that those birds cannot actually have the reflex time that's quick enough to make those changes on just seeing their next-door neighbor make the move and make the change in flight they actually need to have had some sort of information entered into the field in order to move in harmony together, like all of us are turning right right now. And it's not sounding either. It's not sound or visual. It's it's an understanding that allows these birds to make those kinds of turns and movements in harmony with each other. Another uh, idea that he gives is, well, I love this one. This is about the crossword puzzle. And so people who do the, the, let's say they have a crossword puzzle that they have created for the Sunday puzzle, which is a very popular puzzle. And the people who do it on Friday, they give them, they have a test group of puzzlers, and these are all, you know, randomly selected from the same type of caliber of puzzlers. And they give them the puzzle on Friday, two days early. And it takes them a long time to work it out. Let's say it maybe takes them a full hour to work out the puzzle. And then on Saturday, they give another group, same size group, the same puzzle, and they have not seen any of the answers, so they don't know. And it takes them a little shorter period of time, like maybe 45 minutes. And then comes the Sunday group, and nobody has seen the puzzle. None of the, in the, these various groups have seen the puzzle. The Sunday group can go ahead and, and do the puzzle in like maybe 40 minutes. And then they go ahead and give the puzzle to another group who has not been, who has not previously seen it on Monday, the same puzzle, and they can do it in like 30 minutes. And so what he's proposing here is that the answers to the puzzle have entered into the group mind and that it becomes easier for us to begin to perceive the changes that are ha- that have happened. And he uses the descrip- description of these of morphic resonance of this field that is available to us. And it's the same field that lets us know when we're being stared at. It's the same field that lets us perceive when someone is calling on the telephone. It's the same 
field that lets dogs know when their owners are coming home. It's the same idea as that. There is something that has entered into the group field that lets us know the information. Another example that he gives is of the blue tits. This is a type of bird that was that is abundant in Europe. And before World War II, when the milkmen would come and they would set the bottles of milk on the front porches of the houses that were receiving milk in the mornings, there were these old glass bottles, and they had a little paper tab on the top of them, a little round cardboard tab, and you would lift up part of the tab, and that would let you lift up the, the whole tab, and then <clears throat> you could go ahead and pour the milk out of the bottle. And people would usually shake the milk up because back in those days the milk was not homogenized, and so the cream would settle to the top, would rise to the top. And the blue tits, shortly before World War II, had discovered in one area, I think it was in England, how to lift up the cardboard tab and drink the cream off the top. And it started in one neighborhood, and then pretty soon it blossomed throughout the whole area. And I think it was a many mile, many hundreds of mile radius that these blue tips were robbing the cream off the top of the milk bottles. And then World War II came, and there was no milk delivered to the front porches of these houses. And so the, the, the blue tits didn't have an opportunity to rob the cream. And blue tits don't live very long. They're only a couple of years for the, age, the average age of a blue tit. And so most all of the, in fact, all of the birds who had known about this cream had died. And in fact, their, great grand, their grandchildren had died as well. And so it was not like anybody was telling anybody, you know, gee, when the milk bottles come out, go ahead and pull the tabs up and you can get the cream, because the generations had passed on. But as soon as the milk bottles returned to the front porches throughout Europe, by, delivered by the milkmen, the blue tits everywhere immediately opened them up and drank the cream mm. off the top. <laughs> it's such a powerful idea, isn't it? It's kind of like if we think certain thoughts now, it makes it easier for other people. Yes. Especially if they're new thoughts or, you know, different yes. thoughts. Yeah, so Rupert's morphogenetic fields is a really beautiful idea, isn't it? It is. It's about how in the genetic group, you know, the group of, within a certain genetic group, there is this field that allows them to understand and to know. It's really great. <laughs> so thank you, Barbara, for your question. And uh, we do actually, have, someone has actually written in, Josephine, so perhaps great. this is a good time. Uh, and this is uh, from Erica, and she writes, Hi, Josephine. I had a German shepherd that took it on himself to be on duty when my husband was at school and my children and I were at home. As soon as my husband would drive out the driveway, Mia would sleep for the first time in hours and hours and hours. The rest of the time, he was all over the property on duty protecting us. Oh. It took me a while to witness this amazing project he took on himself. Wow, isn't that great? Yes. <laughs> what a beautiful story. Thank you, Erica, for writing in. And blessings on Mia for really joining the family circle and embracing all of your children as as her own. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thanks for that. So, yes, um, in the I've been an explorer in this realm for many decades now, and you can do it, too. It's a really simple thing. And... So I'd like to just share with you a little story about what I've done with plants myself. Was I, Years and years ago, I thought, now, you know, how did people know that these different plants, some of them were medicinal and some of them were more food plants, or what was the deal? You know, I thought, how did they know that? And how did they know what the plants did with their medicinal qualities? So 
So I thought, well, I'm just going to try it on my own. And so I went out and sat in the backyard with a hypericum plant. Now, I didn't know that this hypericum plant was the commercial variety of hypericum. It was not the medicinal variety. But still, I thought, well, there's hypericum. I'm going to go sit down. I know that's a medicinal plant. I don't know exactly what it does, but I'll just go out and see what I can find out. And so I entered into meditation with it, and I just asked the plant, you know, is there, can you share with me, you know? And, and of course, it's always a good idea to ask permission. And I got a kind of a warm and fuzzy feeling like, yes, that would be fun and nice to do. So I sat down with it, and we just, I just communed with it for a while. And I, pretty soon I started getting all of this information about the various healing traits that this plant might be able to assist humans with. I thought, wow, that's pretty great. And I went in and checked later with an herbal textbook, and sure enough, there was all of the things that I had received, and very specific about nerve health and, you know, the uh, digestion, and then, of course, as we know, hypericum for depression, and just healing, the, in general, healing the nervous system. And then later I found out, well, that's this wasn't the medicinal variety, and I thought, oh, well, what was that about? But then I found out that, even though it's it's not the one that is the medicinal variety, it is still a close cousin, and it does still have all of those same attributes. I thought, well, isn't that great? So I think that you know all it takes is a willingness and an, and, a, and a desire, and we can settle down and surprise ourselves with how telepathic we are. So I'd love to go ahead and lead us into a little exercise if you'd all like to join me in that. I would. Good, thank you. <laughs> So let's go ahead and relax and close your eyes if you'd like. And just think of a plant that has attracted your attention. It could be a plant from your past or one that you're currently aware of. Perhaps it's a tree that you climbed when you were young. Or maybe it's an aloe vera plant which you've currently gotten that has maybe helped you to heal from burns in the past. And just allow yourself to come to that Aloha state of mind, you know, that kindness, agreeable, a sense of unity and harmony, humility and patience. And now just imagine this plant before you and ask, do you have a message for me? And then just let yourself receive the first thing that pops into your mind. No need to censor it. Just let the information bring some meaning to you. And make a mental note. And then allow yourself to return to your normal waking consciousness. Take a couple of relaxed and easy breaths and open your eyes, stretch your body a little bit. And just return to the room. So how was that for you, Tony? Yes, very nice. I enjoyed that very much. Good. Did you have a particular plant in mind? I did. <laughs> Good. Uh, it's a plant at home. Oh, nice. And, um, yep, and uh, I got a message. Not completely sure what it means, but uh, right. it was, uh, love is the key that opens the door. Oh, that is great. It's a little mysterious. That's a good one, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting because I'm sitting in here with an aloe vera plant and I happened to just tune into that little aloe vera plant and I got from the plant towards me, I love you, which was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really great. So very similar messages. 
And I think that the plant kingdom does really appreciate our appreciation of them. I mean, after all, our plants feed us, they clothe us, you know, cotton for clothing or, um, you know, different fibers that we get from them. They they shelter us, the wood from trees to build our houses or palm fronds to cover the huts and protect us from the rain. They are the doctors of the of the kingdom of life, you know, like the aloe vera here that I was thinking of, so good with burns and with easing any kind of skin troubles and healing wounds. And that's an amazing plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here's an interesting um, uh, thought. I don't know if you're aware, which is that uh, Prince Charles talks to plants. Oh, yes, that's right. I remember hearing about that. <laughs> Isn't that great? Josephine, we have had um, a listener write in with a question. I don't know if this is a good time. Yes, sure. Okay. So this is from uh, Rosalie, and she writes, I have a question. When I think of experiencing an energy other than what my five senses is telling my brain about life, I think of what shamans and dowsers experience. Am I right in that assumption? I know that in my world of five senses, even though I can't see radio waves, Science has told us that they are all around us, and I believe them. Is what you are trying to help me to experience when I communicate with animals and plants a feeling that I have felt through my heart, or am I going to feel the subtle energy in my brain? Love your program, Rosalie, Norfolk, Virginia. Oh, thank you, Rosalie. What a great question. And yes, you are assuming correctly. It is like what shamans and dowsers experience, and, and yes, it does come through the heart. You know, they've done research at the HeartMath Institute, which has shown that our hearts receive information before our eyes or our ears do. And then it circuits up to the brain and then makes a trip back down to the gut for our so-called gut reaction. So we do sense it in our brain. It's just that we receive the information in our heart first. And the heart is faster and wiser than the head. The head, you know, is always judging. But it's the heart that feels the oneness. And when we love ourselves enough to really you know, allow ourselves to experience the truth of who we are, which is clairvoyant and clairaudient, then we receive messages from the world around us. I've heard it said this way, and I think it's so beautiful. When the flower blossoms, the bee comes. Mm, It's very (laughs) profound. It is, isn't it? So um, I'd like to also assign a little homework assignment, which is if you get a chance to look into, maybe check out from the library, a book called Plant Spirit Medicine. It's another really good book that I found years after I began this journey for myself. Because, and and you know, if you're like me, you might you might be a fellow traveler in this realm, and you might really enjoy this book. And he just speaks about really connecting with the spirits, the little spirits, the little nature spirits of the plants, and getting information and messages from those little nature spirits. That's a beautiful idea and a beautiful thing for us to practice was very affirming for me, and I think it would be affirming for you, too, if you get a chance. So that book is called Plant Spirit Medicine by Elliot Cohen. Enjoy. And that reminds me of my friend Cassandra, who was an animal communicator. And I just so enjoyed our friendship. I met her through asking her to come out and talk with Duchess. I wanted to make sure that Duchess knew that I loved her, and indeed she did. And one time, Cassandra and I, we struck up a friendship after that and started going out to lunches and doing movies and things together. And 
one time we'd gone out to lunch, and after we'd left uh, the restaurant, we were walking past this, you know, in this little lovely garden area, and we walked past this row of hebe bushes that were in full bloom, and the bees just love hebe's. And as a gardener, I had many times, you know, had to prune hebe's back, even when the bees were working them, and I always hated to do that because they were loving the blossoms, but I would just go in and explain, you know, and say things like, I'm so sorry, you know, I... Because the bush is blooming, the owners of the home have noticed that it's a little tall, and so I've got to make it look like a ball again. And so I'd start working at one side of the plant, and I'd work around at the other. And and the bees would, of course, they, they never stung me. They were very forgiving and understanding, I think because I was open to communicating with them. And so as we were walking by this bush, this hebe bush, and the bees were all there working it, I just thought, gosh, I wonder if maybe Cassandra could get a message from bees. And so I said, have you ever talked to a bee before? And she said, no, Josephine, but, you know, what would you like me to ask? And I said, well, why don't you ask if bees know God? And she said, okay. And she turned her attention to the bees, and then this one individual came right away from the rest of the crowd, stopped doing his busy bee work, and came and stopped right in front of our two foreheads, just right between us. And then it paused there for just a moment or two, and then it went back to work. And I said, did you get something? And she said, yes. And she said, the bee said, we all serve the one. And maybe you can show that slide then, Tony. Certainly. That's really beautiful. We all serve the one. Isn't that great? Yeah. And then our dog, Lucky, we got another wonderful message from Lucky, which was every thought is a prayer. And that was when I asked, you know, Cassandra, you know, do dogs pray? And Lucky came up and, you know, pulled her ball onto Cassandra's lap and was having a good time with it. And then she, when Cassandra asked Lucky, do dogs pray? Lucky went ahead and laid down on the middle of the living room floor and she grabbed a hold of the ball. She laid on her back with her uh, with her ball in her mouth and then she very gently and kind of delicately balancing there. She grabbed the ball between her two front paws and she lifted her paws up into the air and then she, you know, wiggly, wiggly, wiggly trying to hold her balance and then finally she just sort of moved one paw which let the other paw, paw throw the ball for herself. And she ran after it, charging down the hallway, grabbed the ball, came back, brought it back to Cassandra's lap and then crump, crump, you know, chewing on the ball, she said to Cassandra, every thought is a prayer. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. That's so sweet, isn't it? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love that. I do too. And, you know, we don't have to stop with animals and plants. I mean, I move ahead right into rocks. I love rocks. They have been actually my first teachers on the psychic level. I have a beautiful rutilated quartz crystal ball, which... The rutilated quartz crystal is the the particular stone that's known for helping us to develop our psychic ability. And early on in my journey in developing my psychic ability, I spent a lot of time communing with my particular rock. And and I love working with the rocks. And and there was a a few years ago back in in Yosemite, Frank and I went to see Horsetail Falls, which is this beautiful ethereal falls that comes down off when the snow is melting and the, the solstice, the winter solstice sunlight, the late solstice sunlight will catch the the stream of vaporous water in this golden glow. And and there was this grinding stone right underneath the base of El Capitan in a perfect view of the falls there. And, and I went up to the stone and I said, you know, may I commune with you? And the stone had probably calved off of El Capitan, you know, hundreds of years before. And there it was with its 24 mortars and I started to kind of clean the mortars out and 
then I just said, you know, would it, would it be all right? May I have permission to commune with you? And, and I got a yes feeling. But it was in my left cheek, and usually I get my yeses in my right cheek. So I asked, huh, that's interesting. It feels like yes, but it's in the left cheek. It's kind of like a little muscle testing thing that I do. And the stone started to speak in my mind's ear. And it said, hello, grandmother, which was very surprising to me because I didn't think of myself in terms of, I don't have any children, you know, I didn't. But I guess I've got, you know, kind of hair that's starting to turn whitish, and I am of an uh, age. And so the rock greeted me in that way, which I always know that nature is giving me a good, true communication because I I get a little surprised by it. And she said, hello, grandmother, we go Wittershins here. And I thought, oh, right, Wittershins, that's the left hand. You know how uh, in the right hemisphere the water goes down the drain to the right and in the left uh, the lower hemisphere it goes the southern hemisphere goes down the drain to the left and the first nations peoples dance their circles to the left and women's way is kind of to the left and it's more yin and man's way is a little more yang and that's to the right and so here in america we drive on the right side of the road where we have a male president and things and then in england and new zealand they have a queen and they drive on the left side of the road and and the the women sat on this rock to grind their daughter their corn together with their daughters and to enjoy the view and I thought oh it's the it's the left hand path <laughs> here we go so it's just really interesting and the rock sort of helped me to realize all those little ideas about left and right and yin and yang and and I just thought oh that's just so wonderful it's just beautiful to have those ideas come through from from the the rock kingdom. Josephine, that was a wonderful story, but I have some bad news. Oh, dear. And that is that we're almost running out of time. <laughs> so perhaps I should just now say that the link to next week's show can be found on Josephine's website at stepintomagic.com. Just simply click on the top radio for menu. And if you have a question or would like to be included in our weekly newsletter, just go to the contact page of Josephine's website. That's stepintomagic.com. So, Josephine, are there any parting words that you'd like to say? Well, yes, there are. <laughs> I'm sure you there would be. <laughs> and thank you so much for that, Tony. The world of nature has so much to offer us, and if we just open ourselves to our unity with it all, our interconnectedness, then we can receive that wisdom and that energy and the allies that we have there and the support, and we can move in harmony with nature instead of always disregarding it as being soulless and trying to fight against it. So all we need to do is just change our minds and love ourselves enough to give ourselves this amazing gift. And so in closing tonight, I'd like to thank you all so very much for giving me the gift of your time. And I'd like to finish with this little blessing, which is that as our gifts are given in love, they are received in love. And we honor their wise use and their increase for all concerned. And so it is. Thank you so much for that, Josephine. As always, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you on the radio and i trust that everyone listening has learned lots about learning to commune with the natural world this has been show number esb-1.14 and if you've enjoyed the show we really hope that you will tell your friends we look forward to having all of you join us again next week when josephine will be talking about ley lines and power centers and how we can relate energetically with our planet tony and i wish you all insight wisdom and magic as you pursue the journey of inner knowing. And I hold you all in light and in love. Thank you so much for listening. This is Josephine Lang. Until next week, good night.
you all for listening.